Hey everybody, welcome to episode 10 of Ron and Matt Must Listen. I am joined as always by my friend Matt, or as he's known, the pretty part of the show. <laughs> the pretty. How are you, Matt? <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm getting ready to take some more Advil, but I'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> Matt getting his second shot and powering through to do this today. So thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. I'm very glad to be here or anywhere today. (laughs) (laughs) So today we are, as always, joined by a guest. Our guest today is Haley of Absent Father, Stud Count, and Drill Sergeant. Um, so what album did you pick for us to listen to? I picked Harvest Moon by Neil Young. Okay, so anybody who doesn't know Neil Young, first of all, that's ridiculous. He's been active <laughs> since 1963. <laughs> Harvest Moon is his 19th studio album. Came out in 1992, has 10 songs, and runs about 52 minutes. Uh, Haley, how did you first come across Neil Young? So I actually used to listen to Neil Young records with my grandma. Um, I went to school in Granville, Ohio, and she lived in town. And every Sunday I would walk down the hill and we would make brunch and put a Neil Young record on. And we would just dance in her kitchen while the light poured in. And it's one of my favorite memories of my adolescence and of my grandma who ended up passing a few years ago. And every time I hear this record in particular, I always think of her. So she first introduced you to this record or was this one that you came across like organically? Cause I mean, this one is, you know, 19 in, that's a long, a it's long a history cut. he has. Yeah. So I had never even listened to Neil Young until I was 18 and I got to college and started doing those Sundays with her. She, her favorite record was Harvest and mine ended up being Harvest Moon. Um, I think Harvest, Harvest Moon is probably my favorite song of all time, actually. That's awesome. I, that's actually my favorite song on, on the record. I have, not, I have not heard this record in probably <laughs> many years. I'm not somebody who listens to a lot of what would be considered classic rock, necessarily. However, I like singer-songwriter stuff. I love Leonard Cohen. And of course, Neil Young kind of fits into that. I also love a good harmonica in a track. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and there's so many good moments of, of harmonica on this, on this album. But what draws you into it when you first hear it, Haley? So I love this record because I feel like Neil Young, this record in particular and Harvest are both very sparse in comparison to a lot of his other records. Um, And that's kind of how I write. I feel like the space between notes and uh, like the dead air and all of the background noise and music, that also is an instrument in itself. I tend to write that way as well. And there's also just a lot of good songs. I wish I could come up with the melodies that he does. Harvest Moon is, I'm such a romantic, unfortunately, but I think that's the song I want to play at my wedding. And then Unknown Legend being the opener I want to be the person who is in that song. Like, that's who I strive to be. (laughs) She grew up in a small town Never put her roots down Daddy always kept moving So she did too Somewhere on a desert highway She rides a Harley I don't know. I just like there's something about this this album in particular that when you listen to it, it takes you to an entirely different place. And that's what I love so much about music. It's not so much about the sonic quality of it as that visceral feeling that you get when you listen. I agree. I mean, I think I think that I like stripped down versions of musicians, too. 
so I'm a big I'm a big fan of bright eyes but <laughs> my my favorite thing that Connor did was the ruminations album that is really like a stripped down version of to me bright eyes but it's his solo stuff but just a lot of it's just him and a piano and I really enjoyed that so much so I, I definitely relate to that concept you know when you talk about the spaces being left being musical in and of themselves when you write how does that play into to how you write a song what do you want the spaces to represent when you're writing something I feel like it kind of depends for me on the subject matter of a song that I'm writing about, but I do tend to write mostly about personal, you know, things that have happened to me, parts of my life, and a lot about absence. Uh, there's a lot of like people that I've lost over the years or time or memories that I've lost over the years. Um, I mean, we were talking before we started recording, but uh, like I have two and a half years clean. I don't really remember from age maybe 12 to 23. I am in therapy for it. I'm trying to figure it out. But I feel like my music is very reflective of like that time lost, um, the people lost, the memories lost. And I think that one of the coolest things about listening back to that music that I make is I get to fill it with things that I think about now like I, I feel like listening to a song that I made three years ago is completely different than when I listened to it last year the year before it just keeps being a different song because of all that dead space that I get to fill with my imagination or you know wherever I am at the time yeah I mean that's incredibly cool and I think one of the things that I love about the work you do is that none of your stuff is the same <laughs> Everything that you're a part of is very different. And I really enjoy that about like the catalog of things that you work with. You know, your solo stuff is so different from what you do in Drill Sergeant yeah. or Stud Count. <laughs> and those two bands are very different. So how, how does Neil Young inspire you when you're playing in a band like Drill Sergeant or like Stud Count? Well, Neil Young has done the same. I mean, he really is one of my biggest inspirations because he's been rockabilly Neil. He's been classic rock Neil. He's been country Neil. He takes on so many different personas depending on what project he's doing, uh, what year of his life he's in. Um, you can look back over his career and there's probably not a genre that he has not touched. And I also just really, I love his stage presence. If you watch any live videos of him, there are some where when he's playing, especially like Harvest and Harvest Moon songs where they're a little bit quieter, he's like telling the crowd to shut up. And like, <laughs> it's funny, like he'll, he'll like cut songs off in the middle of a song. He'll be like, all right, like, and he's said before in interviews, he's like, you know, these songs are for me. They're not really for other people. They just happen to be there. And if they're going to be rowdy, I'm not going to play over them. I'm just going to stop because it's not for them. It's for me. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I want to, how I want to feel when I'm playing music because when I'm playing absent father songs I'm playing solo it just it's therapy you can close your eyes and I just I forget that I'm even on stage with drill surgeon we haven't had a show yet but playing those shows I take on the classic rock star of Neil Young like that's a lot <laughs> different get to be loud and then with stud count like I don't know everything is just so so different he I don't know. He, he's just really inspiring in all of the different ways that he produces music. Sure. So when you first come across, you know, the Harvest Moon record, what sticks out to you the most aside from where you have the open spaces? What about the music itself draws you, you know, closer to the record? Uh, I, that's a hard question. I grew up in North Carolina and I listened to mostly country music and picking out like different parts of that record, like different instruments that are used on it makes me feel kind of more connected to my childhood and to the earth, um, as hippie as that sounds. <laughs> I don't know. There's just, there's just a sonic quality about this record that it just makes you feel like you're being wrapped in a warm blanket. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's comforting. Well, I think the song Harvest Moon, one of the things that, that stuck out about that song in particular to me after not hearing it for such a long time is probably that there's a little bit of whimsy in that song to me. Mm -hmm. Like there's a little bit of airiness, a little bit of whimsicalness. And then I really like the female vocals that come in. I have a big like 
love of that. Like I'm a huge new pornographers fan <laughs> and I'm a huge Leonard Cohen fan. And those things are, are in those, those types of, of songs. And I feel like he utilizes it so well and he crafts his songs so well with where he has like almost like background choirs of female vocals kind of coming under him. I, I love that. And I felt like that song has this whimsical air that like, by far it's my favorite track on the record i think it's an amazing song and it's definitely a song that like i could revisit this put this on a playlist and listen to it 15 times and not get tired of it because i feel like it's that solid of a track so to hear you describe your relationship with a warm blanket i can totally see that especially in a song like that where there's just this kind of like whimsicalness that kind of can take your head away from whatever may be troubling you and just kind of comfort you in a a certain Mm -hmm. way so let me ask, Matt, when you listened to this, um, was this your first listen or have you heard this one before? This, I mean, I'd heard songs off of it, but as far as listening to it in full, this is my first time listening to this album. That's so special. I wish that I could go back in time and listen to this for the first time again. It's pretty interesting, especially considering, because like, I think I, I did a double check. Like, I think I texted Ron after I listened to it. I'm like, dude is is this correct this came out in 1992 he's like yeah and i was like kind of blown away because the production on it and i'm not putting it down it definitely doesn't sound like a lot of other stuff that was coming out in 1992 I know. my speculation is is that it is the sequel to harvest that he released however many years after that album comes out so he probably (laughs) wanted it to have some kind of you know, something that sort of syncs them together. You know, he doesn't want the sound to be so dissimilar that you're like, well, I can see how this, you know, how this would be the sequel if <laughs> it didn't sound so fucking refined or da 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 da. That's really interesting because I, I feel like people do look at it as a sequel to Harvest and it's not necessarily not that, but there, I feel like and it hasn't come out yet. It is, I think a few songs come out. I'm not sure if the entire album has come out, but there was a record that he wrote that got scrapped because he was under this other label who was trying to put out more produced things, like you're saying, because that time mm-hmm. period. And um, that album is called Homegrown. And I don't know if you've listened, I, there's a few songs on it on Spotify. I'm not sure if the whole thing is up, but that was like kind of the missing link between Harvest and Harvest Moon. There was Harvest, there was Comes a Time, there's Old Ways, and then there's Harvest Moon, but Homegrown never got put out. And I look at that as kind of that bridge between, because mm-hmm. I do see a lot of similarities between Harvest and Harvest Moon, but there's also a lot of differences. One of the biggest things is that uh, the person that recorded El- Harvest, Elliot Mazur, didn't do Harvest Moon and it wasn't done in Nashville, but that underproduced quality was because they started doing stuff out of a barn instead of like in a studio, <laughs> which I think is so cool. I want to yeah, do more stuff like that. They, they literally were like miking up stuff in the middle of like Neil Young's farm. I actually really like the recording quality and almost like Mm -hmm. going back to what Ron was saying or what you were saying with this like blanket concept. Like, I don't want anyone to be dissuaded hearing that I'm saying, oh, it sounds such a way. Oh, that doesn't sound like my 1992 pop albums, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) But like it's it's recorded in such a way where I think especially first listen through it, I was like, is this just a fucking live album that just sounds really good? (laughs) And then the last track actually like sort of threw me because I'm like, oh, maybe it was a live album. But I (laughs) I think just that one was live. But um, it does, it kind of have, at least for me, if we're going to speak to comfort or whatever, listening to it, it's kind of like you're in a small room and these people are like playing these songs around you kind yeah. of like that's the vibe it gives me yeah it's like they're playing it directly for you and that's what I want to yeah. do for my own music like I don't I don't really care too much about having a huge audience necessarily like I want to make sure that every person that listens to it kind of feels like we're sharing a conversation instead of you know me just talking at them uh, I think that's what Neil Young tends to do. It's funny because if you listen to a lot of his stuff in his earlier career, you can hear how much his voice has developed and changed since then. And I think if I'm not mistaken, he used to not like his 
voice very much so he would use like more overdubs but a lot of these tracks on uh harvest moon are just live vocal takes mixed in with other vocal takes which yeah. i think is really cool that's what i want to do actually right now i have i'm because i'm going to los angeles to record in june my new album and i have a bunch of the voice memos of demos of the songs that i'm putting on the record and i already told my producers like we're mixing in all of these voice memos because <laughs> they're just special okay. That's awesome. That's interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. I like that concept. I, I think one of the things that stood out to me too, because I listen to this most of most of the time on either headphones or AirPods while I was at work. And I think this record would be incredibly good on vinyl because there's a warmth to the record. Yeah. Even through the coldness of streaming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that it's such an underlying warmth that I feel like like getting this on vinyl and like laying on a floor on like a lazy Sunday <laughs> afternoon and just throwing that on and hanging out would be a really cool vibe with the sounds of this record. Mm-hmm. Just the light crackling of a vinyl. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yes, I know yes. exactly what you mean. Yeah, and I think I think they did. I agree. I agree with the production end of it. I don't I don't love overly produced records anyway, to be perfectly honest. So I'm always happy with stuff that doesn't have like an incredibly produced sound to it. And I feel like sometimes that gives the character to the record itself. Mm-hmm. And for sure in this, the time frame it's coming out and all of that, it definitely has that, that vibe that it, it's got the character too in the production. So first of all, when you are going to be recording and things of that nature, how do you go into a process like that? Do you have an idea of what you're looking for in your sound? Or do you go to the person who you're working with and, and go, hey, listen to this record. This is kind of what I want my production to come out like. So this will actually be my first time in a studio or like being recorded by anyone besides myself in my room for my project. We did the Joe Sargent record and the Stud Count record or the Stud Count record hasn't come out yet. But we did those two in New Jersey with one of our friends. But I've never personally recorded anything in a studio and when I went last year we started we were going to start recording last year and then you know COVID and stuff but I was so terrified at first (laughs) I was so scared because I was like what if this person doesn't like the song and all this stuff because when it's just me I sit down at my desk and I'm like okay like let's crank this song out usually I'm doing it in like two or three takes and then I just press a bunch of buttons and put it online like I don't really (laughs) I, I know that sounds silly, but it's not very complicated for me. I feel like I really like my voice, which is awesome. I didn't used to feel that way, but I, I think I have a very strong voice. So it's something that I don't tend to produce very much. And then the stuff that I do like to have more effects on are like guitars and bass and like trying to create like this vastness that leaves space in between it if that's, that makes sense I'm not sure if that point is getting across but um I just I don't know I, I feel like I rely more on uh like reverb and stuff like that when I'm sitting at my desk just making things but I did my first entire record on my phone <laughs> like you nice. really don't have to you really don't have to have any equipment to make music and I listen back to it and I don't necessarily love it I would like to redo some of the songs but at the same time it's like significant of where I was at that period in my life so and I think that that's true for all of Neil Young's records as well like you can you can listen to something and know exactly where he was or like what time period that was which is really cool to me I was thinking of you I was thinking of you and me. 
Yeah, I mean, I, one of the things that stands out to me about your your you know your solo work is I think you have, I think you have a great voice. I think that you have you. a really good voice, and so uh, that's a big that's a big deal to me too. Which is <laughs> not that not that somebody can sing, just that I like their voice, and I think that's something that is different about Neil Young than a lot of other artists too. Is I really like Neil Young's delivery in his voice, mm-hmm. and you know it's Neil Young, yeah. and you know we've talked about this in the past, like. Converge comes up a lot with that discussion because Converge sounds slightly different on every record, but you know it's Converge. Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing with Neil Young. Even when he was doing like Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, you know Neil Young. Like you can mm-hmm. tell Neil Young. And I think that that's something that, that is unique. So when you're working together with other bands, how often do you get to put forth any kind of vocals into, into like Stud Count or into Drill Sergeant? Well, real quick, I want to say I love that you commented on the delivery because I think that's such an important, people always think about, when they think about vocals, they just think about like a tone, the tone of your voice, right? But vocals are so much more expansive than that. Like the delivery, I personally have like a vibrato that I have really good control over. That's like my favorite aspect of my voice, the timbre of someone's voice, the ability to get soft and loud, like all of those things it really makes folk, like your voice an instrument in itself and it's not as straightforward as just like oh I'm singing a song it's it's a lot and I I really appreciate that about Neil Young because he knows when to get loud he knows when to get soft all of the qualities the qualities of his voice make him so unique it doesn't sound like anybody else just like you said with my stuff I did all of the and I don't know when we're putting the stud count record out but I did all of the background vocals like the harmonies and stuff on that record I didn't get to do anything on the drill sergeant record because it's obviously there's no deep um, growls coming oh. from <laughs> no um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, people who haven't listened to it, it's power violence. So yeah, I'm not doing any. It's a really great record, by the way. It is a really, really, really great record. I actually ordered it off of Bandcamp like about a week ago. I missed out on the limited vinyl, which I was like, I missed out on it. That's terrible. How did you not get it? (laughs) I don't know. I should. I should message Adam. Adam's the person that runs Convulse, and I should. Hi, can I have one? Is that? I really wanted it. I have, I have, like, I have two test presses, so I'm not like nice. you know, bu- too bummed about it, but I really wanted that limited variant. It was so nice. It's such a cool looking one. Yeah, it was a cool looking one. I enjoyed it. It wasn't a wax mage. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Yeah, it, it was funny because we were like, we were like, what should we do? And I was like, what if we did this? And at first I feel like the rest of the band was like, eh, and then I was like, no, please. And then it turned out perfectly, so... I'm yeah, really it, it looks it looks great. It sounds great. I mean, as somebody who like for my episode that we did when we were like testing ourselves on just like getting used to doing this, uh, my album pick was Charles Bronson Youth Attack. Okay, um, <laughs> because I absolutely love it, and I love that there's humor in it and and things of that nature. But like bands like Drill Sergeant, and I mean, I'm a big Power Violence fan, and mm-hmm. anybody who's listened can pick up on that. But I also think it's funny because like I was telling you prior to us starting this one of the things that I like about your Instagram is that your musical taste is just all over the place <laughs> and so is mine so like I respect that a lot because like while on here we discuss this this and this and it's mostly you know discussions of like we're talking with our friends from from a lot of like screamo and hardcore bands that we're cool with and stuff like that we were trying to like diversify the guests and talk about different albums. We had an individual on a couple of weeks ago, Nikki from the band Agent Mulder. He picked Nine Inch Nails, The Downward Spiral, which nice. is a record that, yeah, love that record too. Grew up with that yep. record. That was like in my teenage years. So mm-hmm. like that was right in my wheelhouse. But like, I love how you have such a wide variety of things that you listen to and that that translates to the bands that you play in. You mm-hmm. don't just play in one style. And I find that like a lot of bands that I like and a lot of the, the people that are in those bands tend to gravitate toward the same style or maybe just something slightly adjacent. Your stuff is really, really diverse. <laughs> what, what brings that diversity out of you? Did you have somebody in your, in your life who loved diverse music and brought that to you? Or did you just discover this you know, out of your love for listening to music? 
I don't I wish I could point to something and like no I've actually never really thought about it that hard but I guess growing up like my <laughs> my dad loved like Jack Johnson, Dave Matthews band, Hooting the Blowfish, and then he loved country. Like those were his things. And then he also liked classic rock. Like he loved Van Halen, ACDC, stuff like that. Like he he was he was on that side. My mom pretty much only listens to pop or RB music, really big into like the 70s and 80s. And then my sister and my brother, I have two older siblings, and I remember being in Oh God, how old was I? I was probably in fifth grade and my brother got like a Jeep Grand Cherokee for his car and he put these huge subs in the back. Like I'm talking like I would sit in the back seat and my head would be rattling in between them. And he was just playing like strictly Memphis rap. That's kind of his vibe. And then my sister turned me on to like Third Eye Blind and alternative music like that. And then I was dating someone in the North Carolina metalcore band. So I kind of just got exposed to a lot of different things pretty young. And I liked all of it. I, I really, you know, I've only really hated two bands ever. And uh, they're Sharptooth and Attila. Like, that's just not my bag. I don't like them. Any other band I can get on with. I can listen to it and be like, all right, even if it's not necessarily my taste if I'm not going to like go out and buy the record I can listen to it and appreciate it for the sonic qualities or for the fact that they're making music in the first place so I don't know I think I just grew up around a lot of different stuff and then when I got into high school and college I got into shoegaze and kind of carved out my own niche there and started running shows and running shows also turns you on to a lot of different stuff because I was not someone who, when I first started running shows, was like, I'm only going to book stuff I like. I just was like, yeah, come play my house. I'd love to have a show every single night for the rest of my life. Uh, <laughs> which, you know, as you get older, <laughs> now I'm about to turn 27. Don't want that. Haven't lived in a show house in three years. It's awesome. But when you're young and you, you like music, it's fun to be surrounded by. And I don't know. Now I just have a lot of different stuff that I'm into and it's nice because I can talk to anyone about anything yeah I mean the diversity is is great like <laughs> it's so funny because I used to joke like I have like two two sets of friends I have my friends who are into like hardcore and punk and power violence and then I have my friends who are into like the shins and modest mouths <laughs> <laughs> like that's the groups of people like that it's so funny because the to bridge the gap between them is so difficult because some of them are just so set in their ways like but my one friend I, I had the opportunity to take him to his first punk show ever and it was That's at the awesome. Garfield Artworks here in Pittsburgh and I took him to see Jason Green who was in Orchid and Panthers uh he had a band called Violent Bullshit mm -hmm. And we went to see them and we were the only two people who paid to go into the show. What? <laughs> yes, that's no joke. We were the only two people who paid to see them play. Everybody else who was there that they played for were the opening bands. And it was oh, terrible wow. that that was the case. But at the same time, they played like there was a bunch of people there and they didn't phone it in. It was awesome. It was that's what's up. It was a great first experience for him to get to go to. And then he ended up going to see Mets with me a few weeks later. So, you know, that diversity is difficult to kind of bridge the gap sometimes for me because I like so much different stuff and my friend group, they're so different in what they like and not always able to come together on, mm -hmm. a, on like a medium place. So I think it's great that you just have such an array of knowledge about what you like and, and the stuff you listen to, but also within the bands that you play in, because I think it's just, it speaks to what a good musician you are too, by the way. That you have that ability to switch in it. What? What? That's so nice. No, it's seriously because I don't think it's easy to switch playing from a band like Drill Sergeant to playing, you know, an acoustic <laughs> set for yourself, and then kind of like the post punk that stud count. Like that's all so diverse, even though you know maybe they're all similar in some way, but it doesn't speak to the way. I mean, you just play well. I mean, all of it yeah. that I've heard, I've been impressed. So. Thank you so much. It's so funny because I really think that we could play a show like a, a like three sets back to back. I think we could play a show and somehow it would work. <laughs> I don't know how because they are so sonically different, right? Like my solo stuff 
especially the new stuff, it's like grouper meets Phoebe Bridgers meets, you know, whatever. And then stud counts, like that power poppy post-punk kind of stuff. And then drill sergeant being power violence. Yeah, none of them really go together. But I feel like I could play three sets back to back and my stage presence wouldn't change. Like everything would stay exactly the same. It's just different music, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I would, first of all, I would, I would buy a ticket to that. I'd go see that. <laughs> Thank you. I would go see that. I would. I would go see it simply. (laughs) Simply, simply because I like all of what I've heard too. So again, because like I'm, I'm a music nerd. I've been, you know, I've said, I think once or twice on here before, like I committed myself from the age of 25 until probably about two to three years ago to listen to at least a hundred new albums that came out every year. And I had to listen to them three times before I would dismiss it outwardly and say I didn't like it, um, <laughs> which is an incredibly weird commitment to make. But I no, love music good. and I have no talent to play it. So therefore, I just listen all the time. Okay, respect, and, but also if you ever wanted to play, you totally could. Just well, so you know, you if you ever want to no... learn guitar, we can FaceTime. I will teach you. I got you. But <laughs> that is so nice. I, I appreciate. I do. I do respect that a lot. I. I also think that, like for me, I try not to comment on things that I, if if it's not in my lane, then I don't feel like I deserve to have an opinion on it. So I, I like that sure. thing where it's like, okay, yeah, listen to it three times, and if it's not your bag, then cool, move on. Yeah, I mean, and I, I found so many bands that I probably would have never listened to uh, had I not done that. Like, I would just, I'd see a name and I'd be like, okay, I'm just going to download this and check it mm-hmm. out and see if it's worth my time. And then if I liked it, I would immediately buy it, <laughs> like, on vinyl. And, you know, I'm a big record nerd, too, so I have records everywhere. That's fun, but also it consumes a lot of space. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I would have, I would have never discovered like a band like who I absolutely love, the band Parquet Courts. I would have never heard Parquet Courts if I hadn't just like downloaded it because I was like, that's an interesting name. I'm gonna check this out. I do that with album art. If I see cool album art, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna save Same. this. Yeah, and then usually it's good. Like I really haven't heard that much I've... bad music. <laughs> <laughs> I've had. Well, you know what? I'm not really gonna say anything negative. Let's just say, like, Animal Collective has really cool album art, <laughs> but, but musically, I I had a Come hard on, time getting man. into it. Come on, Meriwether Post Pavilion is really good. <laughs> also, Lightning Bolt, but I knew what I was getting into with Lightning Bolt, <laughs> so. Oh, my God. Meriwether Post Pavilion's great. I got to see them play on that tour. They were really good. I liked Animal Collective on that. I've seen Panda Bear a couple of times, too. Big fan of him, too. Um, I just only know the song he did with Daft Punk. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> That's mean, hilarious. I, I have all the singles for Tom, the Tomboy album. Like, I, I, I almost, tried to drive to Cleveland to track one down. Oh, my God. I almost didn't listen to Entombed because the font on Left Hand Path is Papyrus, and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I really like that. I know that, that but... <laughs> No, 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 I like that. I like that. That is like a thing where you're like, no, I saw that, and that turned me. I am the same way sometimes. Hey. To be fair, when I'm looking at stuff on Bandcamp, particularly like Bandcamp Friday, where I'm like, okay, yep. I'm gonna yeah. sink a couple of dollars today, and I look into it, and I'm like, Ooh, I don't know if I like the cover of that. And then I'm like, I've become less able to listen to a hundred records a year because of covid and losing my job that i had previously so like i had a lot of time at my other job and this job i'm busy so i can't be listening as much so i've had to give up that commitment and it's been unfortunate however Bandcamp, i am very like discerning like if i see album art and i'm like "Mm," or the name has something in it that i'm just like okay this is a questionable name like i'm not gonna not gonna put my time into this yeah (laughs) so so I, res- I respect that. I respect that the, uh, the font threw you off on that. I like <laughs> that. So as far as getting back on track, which we don't do very well on this at all, <laughs> <laughs> Harvest Moon, what does it mean to you on a personal level? I know you, you discussed, you know, hearing Neil Young with your grandmother and it kind of taking you back to that time in your life. But when you listen to it now, does it just bring up those fond memories all the time? Or is there a more personal even than that, you know, just that relationship with your grandmother? 
Yeah, I mean, I think both. I There's a song on my new record. I, I kind of want to call it Harvest Moon because it's about listening to Harvest Moon in my grandma's kitchen, like I was talking about earlier. Uh, it's like one of my favorite songs I've ever written. I just don't know if I should call it Harvest Moon because I'm not sure if that's the smart move. But yeah, it's it's just like that that feeling that I would get about being completely seen by another person. My grandma was my best friend. I was really, really, really close to my grandma. When I moved up to Ohio, like I didn't know anybody and I didn't really know her very well. I grew up in North Carolina, so I had 18 years growing up with my dad's family. And then when I moved to Ohio, I got to meet a lot of my mom's family. And um, we just formed this connection where she just, she knew everything I was thinking. She knew how I was feeling. She knew what to do to make me happy. It was just, I like, I, I love her. I, I loved her. I get mixed up sometimes on if I should use past tense or present tense, but I'm gonna stick with the present because this album puts me back there. It makes me feel like she's still with me. And I don't know, it's, it's just really special to me. And it's almost one of those things where I'm a huge hippie. I can feel the sunlight. I can smell the grass. I can just like hear the birds and like the kids driving by on their tricycle. Like I know exactly where I am when I listen to this record. I can close my eyes and I'm right there. And it's one of the most comforting feelings in the world. And sometimes when you open your eyes and the record's over, it can be a little bit sad, but I think that that's good too, because that means that I had such a deep love with my grandmother and that's important to me. Yeah, I mean, that's that's an incredibly beautiful story, too, because, I mean, like, I have, I have a relationship with my grandfather that's very similar, except that, like, I grew up with my grandparents. My grandfather was a huge Beach Boys fan, as well as <laughs> Simon and Garfunkel, <laughs> and all of that kind of stuck. But when we really, like, we bonded over Leonard Cohen in the, like, mid-2000s. Uh, when he did the live in London, it happened to weirdly be on a local public broadcasting station. And he called me and was like, hey, there's this guy. And I'm like, oh, that's Leonard Cohen. Like I knew as soon as he described it. And so I ended up going over to his house because he only lived at the time. We only lived like five minutes away from each other. And so I drove over to his house and we watched this Leonard Cohen together. And then we just bonded over Leonard Cohen songs. So I completely relate to that. So there's times when I listen to a Leonard Cohen track that like, I know my grandfather loves like Bird on a Wire. And like, I hear that track and yeah, like I'm instantly thinking of my grandson. I'm like, but then there's that moment where then reality sets back in, you know, and you're thinking about the whole situation of how life is different than that moment that you're in at that second. And so mm -hmm. I, yeah, that's an incredibly cool story. So as far as playing music, when did you start getting into playing music? Oh, I didn't actually start playing music until 2017. Okay. <laughs> oh, so uh, still pretty new, which is cool. But yeah, I like I've been booking and like I've been involved in music since I was a teenager. Um, and it was just one of those things where I always wanted to do it, but didn't really know if I could. And then I saw a few different musicians play, um, two in particular were Bethany Cosentino from Best Coast. Um, yeah, awesome band. Yeah, and then Liz Harris from Grouper. Uh, finding those two artists was reformational for me. And it was like, oh, like I can do this. Because with Bethany Cosentino, I saw her, she's this you know, girl on stage, surrounded by men, playing a lot of shows with like other male lineups, playing a Squire guitar, and playing like four chords and that's it. And it's all awesome. Like I love Best Coast. I think, I think she's amazing. Um, and that's not to say like she 
plays only four chords or anything, obviously, but it was just cool to see someone take simple structures and make them intricate songs that I can relate to and that make me feel something. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. And then listening to Grouper only enhanced it. She's amazing. And ama- I don't know if you guys have listened to, to Grouper I've at seen, all. I've seen Grouper I at Pitchfork. I also saw Best Coast at Pitchfork I as well. I was in full, like, you know the sobs where you're like, <laughs> you're like you're like trying to catch your yes. breath i was yes. full sob watching grouper um she's amazing and definitely like those those are the two where i can be like yeah those are those are the reasons that i make music today like seeing grouper play live was just it was honestly life-changing and it also I feel like I, I didn't see her play until maybe a year into I had already been playing and it changed how I acted on stage. But I used to be like apologetic for playing, being like, oh, like, sorry, that wasn't so good. Da-da-da-da. Like, I don't know. It was this humility complex where, you know, I, egos are funny because mine has been huge and tiny in my life and it goes back and forth sometimes. But I was so insecure about how I played in the the beginning of my music career, like who was watching my fingers, you know, stuff like that. And I finally got to a point after I saw Grouper, I was like, I can just do it. (laughs) Like, just go on stage, play your set, get off stage and be okay. And like, if you make mistakes, that's completely fine. It's normal. Like for me personally, I watching Neil Young's performances, he messes up all the time and nobody notices because it's not so much about precision versus yeah. how you feel. You're like not how going a, to see song a jazz band or it's, something. Exactly. You know? It's about like how you feel listening to that music. So after I figured that out, I was just like, oh cool. Like people are coming here. First of all, they're probably just as aware of themselves as I am aware of me, which is alarming because being hyper aware of yourself while playing stinks. And when you lose that a little bit, when you stop thinking like, oh, everybody's examining every single thing that I'm doing and realize that other people are probably just as stressed out or anxious to be there. Like, you know, how you're standing in the audience, like, what does my date look like to the side of me? Do I have a double chin when I look at the, you know, like there's little things that people think about when they're in the audience, but or at least I do, because I'm- No, I, I totally relate, because I, yeah. 95% of the shows I go to, I go myself. And one of the weirdest occurrences that I've ever had was, I, my wife is from Chicago. So I've went to the Pitchfork Festival like eight times because I can just go out and stay with family. And so I would go all the time. And there was one year in particular, I was by myself. It was the first year I went by myself. Uh, I went to the first two with friends. And it was very awkward, like standing in the sun beating down on you. And then the whole time I'm like, should I put sunscreen on with everybody around (laughs) me? Or should I just like go find some shade? And then randomly this girl was like, hey, what's in your backpack? And I said, records. And she's like, no, really, what's in your backpack? And I was like, no, really, records are in my backpack. And she <laughs> proceeded to unzip my backpack and look. And she goes, yeah, it's just records to her friends. And then zipped it what? back up. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. Oh, we there were some interesting moments at that festival. But, like, yeah, like, somebody's behavior. I would never be comfortable <laughs> just approaching somebody and being like, no, look in your book bag. <laughs> like, cool. That's so weird. Um, but yeah, like but yeah, we're all, I understand. Yeah, we're all hyper aware of ourselves sometimes. And like my the best shows that I've been to are the shows where the performer makes me lose track of that. So that's something that I and that's what I call it grouper. Um, and that's something that I try to do now in my performances. Like I usually I have a lot of friends um who like they use wheelchairs to get around or you know, they can't stand up for an entire set or anything like that. So I, whenever I play, I'm like, if you guys want to sit down, feel free. And usually people do and feel so much more comfortable afterwards. And, you know, I I feel like making it more of a community instead of like an audience versus performer, um, trying to break that wall down a little bit always helps me. That's how I felt when Grouper was performing. I just felt like she was playing right to me. I felt like I was Mm -hmm. in my room, on my bed, listening to 
her play and it was beautiful. So I just try to recreate that. And I feel that way when I watch Neil Young performances as well. I'm just like, wow, like this is for me and me only. And he's, you know, he's just like my friend who brought an acoustic guitar to a party. <laughs> it's nice. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's cool. I mean, I know that vibe. Uh, seeing Jeff Mangum from Neutral Milk Hotel was like mm-hmm. that for me, where like I got really emotional. And seeing Morrissey um, years ago for the first time was was very similar. Like I had those moments where like I lost myself in the moment, as opposed to being aware of how my behavior was in the moment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's it's almost it's almost like. I don't want to say it's like an out of body experience, but it really kind yeah. of is like you you become like involved somehow personally to a level where you're not thinking about is the person next to me looking to see that I'm like my head's not in time with the music or like yeah exactly. like all those types of stupid little things that like come in your mind. So yeah, I I, I relate to that completely, yeah. um, and, and I think that's really cool that you bring it into your performance. Yeah, and those aspects of performance mimic the feeling that we get listening to the production on this Neil Young record, because it's like the absent space, right? You know, everything plays a part. Every 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 silence, every staticky moment is an instrument of itself just like how when people are you know I when I play solo sometimes people talk in the background I don't really get that mad at it uh I think it just kind of adds to the familiarity of the moment and I don't know it's just it's just nice yeah I mean it comes like uh at that point it's not you versus you know the the individuals who are in the audience it's it's you just accepting yeah the audience as is and you know and all the flaws and damage that they they are bringing into the situation as well so that that's awesome I think that's an awesome way to uh to look at it so we've had you on and we don't want to keep you because we spent so much time prior to recording (laughs) chatting when you think about the record on the whole what song would you suggest somebody who maybe hasn't heard Neil Young or in particular hasn't heard this record that they listen to first to kind of maybe get them into the record. Oh man, I mean, I we gotta go with Harvest Moon, right? I feel uh, like I we agree. have to. I honestly, I think that the the first half of the record is a little bit stronger than the last half. That's my. I thoughts. love, I love the record in whole, but I think that the, especially the first four tracks are like flawless. Unknown Legend from Hank Hendrix. What is it? You and Me, and then Harvest Moon. Those four tracks are probably my four favorites. But I think Harvest Moon's got to be the intro. It's got to it's got to be. But I think that listening to it as a whole is just so important because you hear so many different elements along the way and it's not just a Neil Young record. It's like a Neil Young and Stray Gators that's the band that backs him for it. It's their record too. And just hearing how just hearing how they collaborate is really beautiful. It's really special. But that said, if there's one song, it's Harvest Moon. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that that's the song that upon first listen, and I'm going to agree, the first four songs are definitely my favorite because when I look at the notes that I took, those are the ones that have the most notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I definitely agree the first four songs, but I think the, the, the thing that has been thematic on a lot of the records that we've discussed is how the record flows on the whole. Mm-hmm. And I agree with the assessment that you definitely should listen to the whole record. But if it's somebody who's not familiar with Neil Young and you just want to hear a Neil Young song, which I find hard to believe you've not heard Neil <laughs> yeah, Young. Like... However, you know, if you haven't, I would definitely say Harvest Moon. Matt, what's your thoughts on that? I agree. I mean, that's my favorite song off the album. And I also agree that I think the first half is maybe stronger. Like after what is the song? War of Man. I think mm-hmm. after that, I'm kind of, which by the way, the chorus of that is a fucking earworm that's been so like, stuck <laughs> in my head like all this fucking week. <laughs> I'm like walking my dog outside. No one wins. So 
Yeah. Yeah. So, but I feel like, yeah, I mean, I agree that I agree. Firstly, I would show Harvest Moon because it's the first one I heard off this album. It's in the movie A Quiet Place, if anyone likes horror movies. <laughs> so I had heard it there, but I feel like it's, I don't know. I feel like it's been some other places as well. But yeah, I would check out the album in full. I don't have really many complaints about it. The last song, I think, is maybe longer than it needs to be. Yeah. Um, what is it's, it's like 10 minutes. Yeah. It? And I'm like, yeah. you know what? Yeah we could have got this to six right yeah. or am i wrong <laughs> but um i mean outside of that i think it is a you know it is a good album and it does have a good flow even if you know the first half is kind of has yeah. the bangers as you might say <laughs> i didn't know that that song was in a quiet place i've never seen that movie but it's interesting because one of the people on uh harvest moon one of the personnel one is actually he's in stray gators and I always pronounce his last name wrong because I want to say like Nietzsche, but it's not. It's Jack. It's N-I-T-Z-S-C-H-E, I think. Um, I can't say it. I'm not even going to try it. But he was the composer <laughs> for The Exorcist and for um, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, wow. Which is That's so wild to me. Yeah. And the rest of that band is like very, very established as well. Like Neil Young knew what he was doing when he asked them to yeah. play on it. But so it was that guy. And then they worked together on um, like Neil Young used to play in Buffalo Springfield, obviously. And they had worked together since 1967. So they had been collaborating for like 32 years by the time Harvest Moon came out. I think that's insane. And then there's the dude named uh, Ben Keith. And he was doing stuff with Patsy Cline, uh, the band. He did that one Jewel record, um, it's called like Pieces of You or whatever. And then Tim Drummond, who we were talking earlier, he was with Conway Twitty. And then um, their drummer, I forgot his first name, but his last name's like Betray, Betree, something like that. He was just super well established in Nashville as well. So he had an all-star cast on it. And then you add James Taylor. It's just insane. Nicolette Larson. I can't remember which one of you was saying uh, you liked the female vocals on Harvest Moon, but that's Linda that was, Ron's. Yeah, I was saying. Linda yeah. Ronstadt. Like, that's oh, insane. That? Wow. Yeah. And then you've also got Astrid Young, who is, I think, his half-sister, I want to say. Like, there's just an incredible amount of talent on that record that's not just Neil Young. And he was so smart about knowing when to let them be highlighted. I just... Yeah, the composition of how the songs like fit together, mm -hmm. it's really puzzled together in pieces very nicely. So everything complements each other on the record, which which I really liked about it as well. So with all those people and their talents, yeah, you're right. The highlights are incredibly, incredibly well done on it. I also like that you probably could listen to this album back to back to Harvest Moon, and you're not going to feel like what 19 years or whatever mm -hmm. however long what between i don't feel like you're gonna you're not gonna feel like a whole bunch of time has passed and uh i, I don't want to say timeless that's like pretty extreme right but maybe or at least you know made in a certain way to avoid caveats that maybe date records in a negative way yeah yeah it doesn't have those pitfalls for sure it definitely doesn't seem like it's um it goes like you, you mentioned earlier, Matt, with the production not sounding like it's from, you know, that that era. I think that's true. Mm -hmm. It avoids the pitfalls of that in, in a sense, because a lot of stuff that is produced in that area, you can tell, you can tell pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. You this isn't something uh, this isn't something Butch Vig <laughs> recorded. You know what I mean? Steve Albini wasn't on this one. <laughs> Damn. Now I, oh, I'd be down to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> honestly yeah, he doesn't well he doesn't say he produces albums he just like he won't even allow you know the artist to put that he just put says i record the album which is pretty <laughs> tight i mean because the whole concept with the producer is like they aren't just recording it they're throwing in their opinion and like their creative process goes into it so it's like mm -hmm. As a band or a musician, do you want that? Or do you want someone who's just going to trust and go like, okay, we have songs. 
I'm going to record them and make them sound the best I can. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think like for me personally, that's I, so I'm recording a Philip Odom uh, who did the portrayal of guilt record that just came out this year, which is insane. That's a solid record. Yeah. So good. I mean, and he's a genius. So last year um, when I was out in LA, he's just been a friend of mine for a while. um, And me him and his girlfriend got coffee one day and he was like hey you want to come make a song and I was like yeah (laughs) so like we did it and he took this like I wrote it in Echo Park um I'll have to send it to you guys after after we hang up but uh, I wrote it in Echo Park in LA I was just I bought a classical that day because I was like in LA for like too long (laughs) and then like for like a month and a half and I hadn't played guitar so I was like I gotta get a guitar I intended to like return it back to guitar center (laughs) Um, and then I was like yeah that's exactly what happened and then I was like wait I really like it and now it's my favorite guitar but um I wrote it in Echo Park and then I like brought it to him the next day and we turned it into like I mean it's my the best thing I've ever done hands down favorite song I've ever written it's gorgeous and he put so much of like I feel like production is an instrument of itself so that added things to it and then he's like well what if we add this little synth part right here and I was like I was thinking that like he could he has the ability to read my mind so when he and I go to record in June he we've just been having like FaceTime sessions which is cool but basically what we're gonna do is I'm gonna play him a song and then we're just gonna jump into it and start doing things and I love that because it becomes more collaborative and more like just like two friends hanging out making music because for me, I'm sitting in my room most of the time by myself. I don't show anybody these songs except for like my friend Corey, who plays in Gleamer, and then my friend Zach who Ooh, used to Gleamer. be in that band Sprawl. Yeah. I like amazing. Gleamer. They're awesome. Gleamer. I was gonna go record with Corey. And then when Phil and I made that song, I was like, oh, this is too magical and too comfortable. Like I don't feel like I'm anxious. I don't feel like I'm nervous recording in front of somebody i feel like i'm just hanging out in my friend's house making music it's awesome yeah and i'm sure that comfort level helps with the creative process too oh, when you're yeah. working with somebody like that oh yeah and like he and i like i'm going out for probably a month and a half and, and we're just gonna be like yeah whenever you want to take a day off go to the beach like do whatever you want to do and he's got my friend Ian, who plays in Regional Justice Center and Military Gun, I, I don't know what they're recording, but they're recording something in the time that I'm there. So it's just going to be like friends hanging out, making stuff. I'm going to make Ian drum on some shit. It'll be awesome. Yeah, that's incredibly, that's incredibly cool. I'm sure that you got to be psyched about putting that together too. I am. I'm really excited. It's, I mean, I've been working on this record for like two years now, so two and a half years now. So I'm excited. I'm ready for it to be out. Sure, especially when you put that much time into something, yeah. you know, so getting to put it onto some format has got to be rewarding in and of itself. Yeah. It's just very different because it's going to be, I have a label for it, um, oh. and like, which is cool. Yeah, I love, I, I don't know if I'm a lot, I think I am. Yeah. It's going to be out on Don Giovanni, which I like, love Joe. I love everything that he does. He lives in Philly. We like take walks together all the time. He's just like a normal guy and yeah i have never put out anything on vinyl i have like a seven inch that Ooh. i don't love but um <laughs> i've never put, i've never we actually a- talked about that at one point oh no i'm so dm <laughs> yeah. uh, no 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 i think we did yeah i think that's yeah yeah i don't i don't love it but they're cool they're like again they're indicative of where i was at that time in my life so it's like it is what it is but i'm excited because i've never you know this, these are all new things for me being in a studio being on a label like collaborating with people i'm excited yeah that's that's incredibly awesome and once you know more details and everything happily have you back to chat about the record even (laughs) yeah i'd love to i'm gonna send you guys that song after we hang out for sure because it's not done i hate when people do that but yeah it's just it's just a (laughs) It's not mastered nope. yet. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Trust me. <laughs> I, I have people send me stuff all the time on the Gene Scene Creamers thing that I do. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I release music through there. There's records that I have coming out in the near future, as well as way far out. Matt and I have something coming out. We're going to be putting out the new Wind in the Trees record when it's finished. We're going to be putting that We're out. We're dropping on it here, folks. That's right. We're going to be putting it out once that's done being recorded and we can get it over to uh, 
to our friends. But yeah, I mean, I have people send me stuff all the time. And trust me when I tell you, there's some stuff that comes through that's really great. And then there's other things that it's just like, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or discourage <laughs> anyone. But it is so hard to not be like, wow, you know, I appreciate, I just try to be nice about it, you know, yeah. but it's, it's tough sometimes. So no, no, no. Trust me, I've heard your previous stuff. I've listened to your stuff on Bandcamp. Um, that's how I came across you initially and then started following you on Instagram. So um, yeah, I mean, I think I think your voice is incredible. I'm super stoked to hear anything new that you have. So well, that's thank awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I appreciate you doing this. I know we took up a ton of your time today. Oh, I'm <laughs> sure. <a> nice <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice day. I really greatly appreciate you jumping on and, you know, thank you so much for that. Matt, do you have any final thoughts before we end this? Yeah, just thank you for coming on. Thank you for talking with us. Thanks for bringing the record. Just thanks for everything. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me. It's been nice to talk to people. I feel like I don't talk to anyone in quarantine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, feel, feel free to reach out. I mean, both of us are pretty accessible. <laughs> 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 yeah I mean feel free um but no I want to thank everybody who stayed the whole time and listened to us again next week we have my friend from Montreal fellow Canadians Montreal Canadians fan PQ of Cell Press he picked a Silver Mountain Zion's record this is our punk rock so looking forward to chatting with him about that I appreciate everybody listening Matt you want to end this one just want to say thanks to everyone who listened and come back next week.
I wanna see you. 